Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Covering topics suggested by you, the listener, we dive into what's important, getting you what you need to succeed. Here's what's coming up. I mean, the biggest thing that I always tell people is you need to be able to talk to your accountant. I mean, time and time again, I talk to new clients or prospective clients and they say, hey, you know what? I wasn't really sure what's going on there. And I said, well, you went back and you asked your accountant. And he said, yeah, but he told me not to worry about that. You know, I'll handle that. And so a lot of accountants feel like that they have this information. This information is what they're selling, right? As accountants, all I have to sell is my knowledge. All I have to sell is my expertise. But that's exactly what people pay me for, right? Hey, Hunt, I want to understand this. I want to be able to explain this. A lot of times when we get into these conversations, it leads to other things. Oh, Hunt, what about this? You know, And that's the kind of dialogue that you need to have with your accountant. I think most of these accountants know how to do taxes. They know how to do accounting, really. It's it's not rocket science. Sometimes they like to seem like it is, but you know, it's, it's really not that crazy. But if you don't feel like that you're getting a good answer, you feel like that you can't ask any questions or in all in all, you just don't have accurate financials, then you need to move somewhere else, right? Even if they're the cheapest guy in town, right? You're not getting that value out of it. And it's really costing you money in the long run. To me, business is about building personal wealth. When you're making money, there's a strategy that needs to be employed because if you just earn money and you keep all that, then a lot of that goes to the IRS. We need your help. By submitting questions or topics to institute at ifrave.com, we can continue to cover things that are relevant to you. But for now, we've collected a panel of experts to get you serious results. So what are we waiting for? Let's get into it. But we need to know where it stands. We need to know what we can do. And we need to make sure that it's something that we can do in an orderly fashion, not just complete chaos. For me, it's like um, I have a forward think, what I call a forward thinking business, uh, where I'm like, I kind of, well, I know what I want this year in sales and I know what I want in profit. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to plan around that because uh, I can tell you that, um, I don't know, uh, about 2015, I had a tax guy and we, he made some big mistakes and I, I walked away from him. And in 2016, I earned, I usually keep my income down just below 250. And, uh, I actually earned another 50, I earned $302,000 that particular year. And that extra 52,000 cost me 57 in taxes uh, because it bumped me up into a higher bracket. It, it went on all of the stuff and there were some other issues around it. And, and so what we see, uh, I, I guess there's a question here at, at some point, what we see also is we see shop owners that haven't earned income you know, so they have a shop that's been making them 70, 80,000 and, and, you know, they're, they're paying kind of minimal taxes and it's okay. And then they start working with a consulting company or a, a coach and, and all of a sudden they're making 200, 300,000 in taxes and they're, and they're not ready for that. Exactly. Um, and so um, I always say, you know, in October, you should be saying, okay, what happened? last year and what do I think is going to happen next year and talking to your 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 tax person yeah right and and so let me ask you another question is a tax person just the person that fills out your taxes and sends them out to the IRS and the state or is a tax person really um, more of a consultant to you and and should they be a consultant to you 
Yeah, they should be because this is not as simple as, hey, Cecil, you send me your, my stuff. I'm going to turn around transactionally and give you back a tax return. I mean, some people, that's the way that they operate, but it's not the best way to do this, right? There's always going to be questions. You know, you know what you know about your accounting and your finances, and you're super strong on that aspect of things. Well, there's plenty of people that maybe they do their own QuickBooks and they send over whatever they want. If there's no conversation on it, they're going to file that right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, yeah. we do tax reviews for people and I look at stuff and I get from the, you know, accounts aspect, right? I do commiserate with them somewhat. Hey, maybe people aren't cooperative, but I see some just really glaring things on tax returns that's saying, I don't even know Cecil's business. I know this number is wrong. You know, anyone would be able to look at this and say that it's wrong, but even more so than just right and wrong, like you said, like planning opportunities. Um, what does the future look like? I'm going to tell you that if you're going out Cecil and you want to start that second location next year, we're going to probably have a little bit different planning than if there was nothing else going on and we really just wanted to minimize taxes. And I see this all too much of these people being like, well, the bank doesn't want to touch me with a 10-foot pole. And I'm like, well, of course they don't. You have $40,000 in yeah. adjusted gross income. And it doesn't look pretty. I mean, yeah. um, we we have a financial form that we fill out. A lot of people call it a composite. I kind of hate to do that because it really isn't. Um, it's more of a it's more of a, a scanner for your business. And when my people go to the bank with that and there's a, a you know a year or two of that, the banks go, oh my God, you have this information. How much money can we give you? And and it, to me, there, there's so many people we, we have a client, a new a new guy. Um, we're actually doing um, an online um, oh, come on, Cecil, YouTube channel, uh, kind of in shop, show you how we do it. He shows $240,000 in profit in his business. Now he's got five techs, or he did when we started. He's got four now. We may, may get him down to three, hopefully. But <laughs> they're, they're, they're not even doing 100,000 in sales. And he showed, you know, in a, in a month. So they're, I don't know what they're doing, 70, 65. And he's showing $200,000 in profit. And when I ask him about his PL, he says, Oh, that thing's all messed up. He, if I take that PL and I file taxes on it, he's going to pay tax on $240,000 in profit that does not exist in his business. Yeah. We, we work with so many shops where, you know, we had a, a guy here that, that was a client about six years ago. When we started with him, they owed the IRS $300,000 based on, this earned income that their accountant had had turned in. Only when when we forensically took a look, it wasn't three hundred thousand. It was less than a hundred thousand because the income that we turned in was it was mistaken. It was it was wrong. It was off. And you know, some I was in a shop yesterday. Yesterday, great guy, nice guy. You know, shop that could be doing really well. Um, uh, no, you look at the PL and you're like, okay, tell me about this. I don't think it's accurate, Cecil. How do you have a PL that's not accurate? I mean, yeah. for your business, um, uh, what? So if you think your PL or your balance sheet is not correct and, and you're not getting what you need from whoever you're talking to, what do you do? 
I mean, the biggest thing that I always tell people is you need to be able to talk to your accountant. I mean, time and time again, I talk to new clients or prospective clients and they say, hey, you know what? I wasn't really sure what's going on there. And I said, well, you went back and you asked your accountant. And he said, yeah, but he told me not to worry about that. You know, I'll handle that. And so a lot of accountants feel like that they have this information. This information is what they're selling, right? As accountants, all I have to sell is my knowledge. All I have to sell is my expertise. But that's exactly what people pay me for, right? Hey, Hunt, I want to understand this. I want to be able to explain this. A lot of times when we get into these conversations, it leads to other things. Oh, Hunt, what about this? You know, And that's the kind of dialogue that you need to have with your accountant. I think most of these accountants know how to do taxes. They know how to do accounting, really. It's, it's not rocket science. Sometimes they like to seem like it is, but you know, it's, it's really not that crazy. But if you don't feel like that you're getting a good answer, you feel like that you can't ask any questions, or in all in all, you just don't have accurate financials, then you need to move somewhere else, right? Even if they're the cheapest guy in town, right? You're not getting value out of it. And it's really costing you money in the long run. To me, I, I think it was kind of when I had my shops, um, uh, to me, business is about building personal wealth. And, and when you're making money, there's a strategy that needs to be employed. Because if you just earn money and you keep all that, then a lot of that goes to the IRS. And I want to pay my fair share of taxes, don't get me wrong. But if there's any way that I can keep some of that money and keep it working for me and building my personal wealth, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So I, I had two accountants that I talked to at least probably twice a year. One was my white, what I call my white hat guy. He wouldn't step over a line. <laughs> if the area got gray, he was like, see, so that's really a gray area. We don't, we probably don't want to go there. Um, but I had my black hat guy that would be like, Oh, there's, here's 10 things. Well, you know, um, I think the first year we really made money at our business um, uh, years and years ago, we, we were going to have to pay 40,000 in taxes at the end of the year. And, you know, we're in August or something and I'm talking to my accountant and I'm going, boy, I'm 40 grand. I mean, you know, I just, I, I finally have some money in the bank and I'm going to have to take all of that and, and pay it to the IRS. How do I keep some of that money. So I went to my black hat guy and he was, he's like, here's 10 things, do this, 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 or that. And we'll get rid of that 40 grand. So then I go to my white hat guy and I'm like, okay, um, we're going to have to pay 40 grand. I don't want to do that. What do we do? And he was like, well, you know, there's not a lot we can do. And I was like, okay, well, what about this? He was like, oh no, we can't, no, that's illegal. <laughs> can't do that. Right. So what about this? He says, well, that's illegal too. I said, well, what about this? He said, well, I think we could probably do that. Right. There's you some know, life in that one. Yeah. There's some, so to me, it's like, um, you know, the, these, there are, there are times when you're making money where you actually have to go spend money because if you don't spend money to increase your wealth by property, you know, remodel, I don't know, whatever, um, it's going to hurt you. Um, yeah. and, and I, I'm never for like, at the end of the year, let me just go buy a new truck because I'm going to, you know, I <laughs> don't gonna, like that tax strategy. No, I think that's a bad tax strategy, <laughs> frankly, although I, I do like driving new trucks, but, um, you know, there's, there are things I think that can be done that, that are protective and that will help you minimize uh, what you have to pay and still, you know, keep you in the white. You know, For sure. Yeah. The light out of the black. Um, I, I, I personally, I, I'm a, I'm a risk taker, so I don't mind a little <laughs> bit of gray, but, uh, you know, you don't want the IRS calling you and, and auditing you and, and finding something untowards. So, um, so that would lead me to another question and we'll get, we're going to talk a lot about different tax strategies and, and stuff like that, hopefully. 
Um, in my, I had heard uh, that one of the leading reasons that people got audited was because they didn't take enough money out of their business, okay, uh, as a as a salary for doing what they do, and so their lifestyle is higher than what their income shows. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, is that, is that true? Is that one of the leading things that the IRS looks at or? I think maybe to a certain degree, right? The IRS is very kind of closed minded on what gets people audited. Um, that's definitely something that if someone was to physically look at that, they'd be able to make that designation of like, Hey, this just doesn't make sense based on where they live, based on what their itemized deductions are and stuff like that. Um, generally, almost all audits right now are triggered by a computer system. Right. And so when we e-file all these taxes, it's going through a computer system. Obviously, at that point, you can then still get someone to physically grab your return. But generally, most of the things that we see are automated. And so maybe reported sales less than what your credit card processor said you did in sales. We've had that one before. Um, One of the other things that we keep an eye out for any large expenses, right? Even if it's 100% legitimate, a large expense, especially on the front page of that business tax return, is going to flag someone to possibly look at that. Um, prime example of that. So let's say that you have, uh, you know, major damage from a hurricane. You know, this is maybe too close to home for some people right now. But you know, roof ripped, ripped off, sign out. You know, you got to do two hundred thousand dollars in repairs. It happens, right? You know, it's something that could happen. If that is my business, I have eight hundred thousand dollars in sales, two hundred thousand dollars in repairs. That's twenty five percent of my sales. Again, right? All one hundred percent above board. All one hundred percent legitimate. We'd classify that a little bit differently. We'd break but, that into a couple of different categories. But if you're so so, if you're a business owner that works with us, and I would mm-hmm. say us being me or you, mm-hmm. I'm telling my clients I want at least three months worth of operating capital in an account, mostly liquid, mm-hmm. in case a hurricane comes by and rips my roof off. Mm-hmm. So that so that if I've got two hundred thousand dollars, I got to pay out. I can do that without risking my business. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the balance sheet, we're, we're showing that differently. Is that what you're telling me? Or are we actually actually showing it differently? We, maybe we itemize the roof differently and we itemize the other, you know, other bits and pieces differently. It's, yeah. And so we could split it into a couple of different expenses, right? So we could say, hey, this was roof repair. We could call that a different expense. You're exactly right. Some of that stuff, maybe we capitalize. We can still write it all off this year, but maybe we put it as an asset. You know, just ways that we're looking at this, we know that it's all legitimate. We know if it ever was to get looked into, it would probably pass an audit. We just don't want to open any of these doors. And so when I tell people, you know, the bottom line, if two people were to do the tax return, we could have the same exact bottom line, same amount of taxable income. But there is a little bit of an art to how you put this so that we don't raise any red flags. So we don't have any unwanted attention that happens. And you don't want unwanted attention from no. the IRS no, or, the, or the state. Um, so that leads me to probably two other questions. Uh, I'm going to remodel, or actually yeah. I am. I just spent, I don't know, about $300,000 over the last year and a half in this building. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, There is a way to say some of this stuff we can write off right away, and some of this stuff we're going to depreciate over certain different schedules. Mm-hmm. What, what is that called? And so we got uh, two things right now. So we have Section 179 expense, which allows us to write everything off in the first year. We also have something called bonus depreciation, which is essentially the same exact thing. 
So the one seven nine is only up to a hundred grand though, right? There's a uh, no, it's I think this year it's actually two point six million dollars. It's a ton. It's way more money than we would ever use. Yeah. Holy holy smoke. <laughs> I, yeah. I need to write some write-offs this year. Yeah, no, you can get a lot. Yeah. They keep on last year it was a million dollars. They brought it up to two point six million dollars for this year. Um yeah. For so why probably, why item why why not just here it is, right? Well, why not write it? it all off? No, I mean what so the accountant I got rid of. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I got rid of them is I got audited and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm busy, I'm traveling all over. And I called him and I said, Hey, you know, we're going to have an audit. He said, no problem. Yeah, we're, we're good. No problem. He's, I said, I can't go. I'm traveling. Do you have, do you know somebody? He said, yeah. So he, and another guy went guy, he, he hired for me, paid a couple of grand. And afterwards he called me and he said, we got big problems. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I took money as an individual uh, about a hundred grand. And I took money as a corporation and, uh, together that was about 300,000 in income after the corp and all the other stuff. And, uh, he did not, even though I handed him both piles and said, this is individual, this is corporate. He didn't, he didn't never filed the hundred. So I literally filed a false tax return to the tune of, you know, 50% of my income was not shown. Um, and the IRS, uh, that's a, uh, a, a can be a felony with jail time. Mm-hmm. You know, anything, anything more than 20% is my understanding is can be a felony. So, you know, we went to the IRS and begged and they were like, okay, no problem, but it cost me 68 grand. Um, and so, and the, and another thing he did was like, okay, I want to, you know, instead of paying all these taxes, I want to write off the remodeling we did. We, we, we had a building before where we spent about a hundred grand on the building and we were only going to be there for five years. And he's saying, no, we can't, we have to write it off over 11 years. And Oh, by the way, if you use it all this year, you won't have anything next year. And, and I was like, ah, well, no, cause I'm going to spend more money next year. That's how this works. Right. Um, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't use the one seven, nine and write it off. Another reason why I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm done. Um, but, but so I could, I could literally write off a hundred percent of whatever I've spent up to 2.6 million. Um, and, and take that right out of my income is what you're telling me. Yeah. And so for leasehold improvements, it gets kind of complicated, but the general idea to think about is leasehold improvements, you know, major renovation projects. If you're keeping the same existing four walls of your structure, you're redoing stuff inside, you're redoing bathrooms, you're redoing waiting areas, painting, flooring, all kinds of stuff like that. 99% of the things that you're doing within your four walls, no matter how much you spend, you can write it all off in the first year, right? Or we can depreciate it over 15 years. Um, Anytime that you get into additions and stuff like that, usually that doesn't fall into the uh, category of it. Yeah, remodels and stuff like that. So if you're adding walls and creating rooms inside the already existing four walls that you have, you you can write that off. Okay, yeah. cool. Extending, expansion, adding another oh. bay, all kinds of stuff like that. It gets into tricks. You just saved me thirty, forty thousand dollars. <laughs> so this was a this was actually worth uh, <laughs> worth spending a little time on. Um, so when do you tell someone don't write it off? 
It depends on what they have to do with cash flow, right? Depends on how good they are with their money, what their plans are for the future, how they got that money. And so let's say, let's use that remodel project, right? So you spent $300,000 for this remodel project. If you went and got a bank loan for 15 years, or if you paid cash out of your pocket, those are going to be two vastly different uh, conversations that I would have about taxes. Oh, right. If you, yeah. you if, if you spend all that cash, hey, there is no downside to me writing all that off this year. You spent the cash this year. Let's get the deduction. However, if I have a 15-year note on this and I'm paying, you know, thirty thousand dollars a year on this, I might think twice about writing all of that off this year because every single year for the next 14 years afterwards. I'm going to be showing profit just to pay this note with no corresponding, you know, tax implications. Yeah, and that is an issue. I think. Um, I think. Well, I know in my own personal life, uh, you know, I borrowed money at different times and places, mm-hmm. and then I'm making money in my company, but because my cash flow is going out to pay these debts, yeah, there's not a lot of money sitting right here. Yeah, uh, making you kind of cash flow poor. And what you're saying is, uh, if that's the way it's going to be then maybe you should take some time to write this off over time to help you with that cash flow, so to speak. Yeah. And plus it depends on where your income is, you know, depending on what tax bracket that you're in, you know, does it make sense to write it all off now? Like I'm not going to take a huge deduction if your income is down and we're in a 10% tax bracket. Yeah. Who cares? Right. Leave it. Let's pay the tax and move on. Let's save it for future years. And so there's a lot of, you know, like just like we're talking about here, you know, kind of highlights how you can't just give someone your financials and say, do the tax return. All this stuff is conversations that you have. Hey, what does next year look like? You know, or if we're talking about the actual tax return and deciding about depreciation, hey, what's the year looking like this year? Man, it is just really down, down, down. Okay, that's going to tell me we had a really good year last year. We have taxes last year. We're not going to really need the deductions for this year. Maybe we can go a little bit more aggressive on last year. Or, hey, it's we're talking in April and they're like, yeah, I've already doubled my profit this year. Okay, hey, maybe we'll hold back on some of the deductions for last year because we're going to need this coming up. You know, and so it's all things that need to be known to kind of give them the best, you know. And that's kind of the the thing, too. I think if you're looking at the brackets, if I can move down a bracket, that could save me tens of thousands of dollars, you know. So it's a little bit tricky because the way that the tax brackets work is, you know, at that bracket, any money above that gets taxed at that level. And so let's say that the 28% tax bracket starts at 200 grand. Once you hit 200 grand, anything from that until 275 is going to be taxed at 28%. It doesn't recategorize anything below that. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. Um, some of the things that happen as you get to certain levels, though, is it you might go into another tax bracket, which might not have a huge effect on your actual taxes. But once you're in like that 200, $250,000 range, you start losing out on credits, you start losing out on you know specific tuition credits and stuff like that. And so the taxes might not be going up, but you could have lost out on six or eight thousand dollars worth of credits, which you know is making a huge swing as well. Yeah, and my darn kids all grew up and moved out, so I lost <laughs> some deductions. Yeah, um, you know, just at the time that my income is moving up, there mm-hmm. no more education credit, no more you're paying for this kid. Um, yeah. And that's a huge one right now. I mean, you know, like we were talking about before, you know, the exact situation of someone making 80 or $100,000 and then just being blindsided when they really start making money is something that we see a lot. Because let's say that you're married, you have two kids, you make $80,000 a year between you and your business, more than likely, you're probably not really paying any taxes after credits. 
you know, because it's pretty much all offset there. But as you go to 200,000, 250,000, all of a sudden, I mean, if you do the math on the difference of that times 20, 25%, you know, we're talking about a major tax bill that a lot of people aren't expecting. And so that's why you got to be proactive and kind of see where you stand. It can kill you. I mean, it can oh, yeah. really, it can really make a major, major difference in what you can have and what you can take. And your stress level. And yeah. you know, if you don't want to, and I tell people all the time of like, hey, if you got a friend, if you got a family member, if you got a bank that will lend you money to pay off the IRS, you need to do that. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. IRS, you don't want you don't nah. want to owe the IRS. You, you, you they're nasty. You're on a knife edge at all times of being in compliance, not being in compliance. Um, you know, and a lot of people, the, the thing about the IRS is the IRS kind of lulls you to sleep, right? Because if you've dealt with them before, they send you some nasty notices, but people have gotten those notices, realize, all right, there's not a whole lot of teeth. They're trying to threaten you. They're trying to get you to, into shape. And they'll let it drag on for a little while, yelling at you, please pay us, yelling at you, please pay us. And people like to ignore this stuff. I personally don't know how people can do it, but they'll just say, you know what? Throw it in the trash. Screw but yeah. one day they're going to have enough of it and they'll send people out, you know, and they will start getting nasty. They'll garnish your wages. They'll freeze your bank accounts. They will, you know, in one morning, they will completely chain up your business, freeze your accounts, not allow you to operate until you pay them. I've seen it happen. It doesn't happen if you're a taxpaying citizen. It doesn't happen. And everyone has this fear of like, all of a sudden the IRS is going to come out. Every one of these stories that I've, you know, personally been involved over, you see that they get to that level. There was about 50 warning signs before that, that they either ignored or they told the IRS, I'm just not going to cooperate. If you're cooperative and you, you know, say, hey, you know what? I screwed up. I'm going to pay you guys. This is what I can afford. They're pretty reasonable to deal with. If you try to put your head in the sand, they get pretty nasty pretty quick. So the advice would be if you get in the rears, first of all, do the most you can to get it paid off. And even if you got to borrow money to make that happen, number two, don't ignore them. Um, uh, have a conversation because they will work something out. I mean, they'd rather get something than nothing, even if it takes forever. And they're going to, their interest rates are unbelievable. So um, they're going to, they're going to get their pound of flesh. Yeah. Uh, and the, the big thing on that too, is also figure out the underlying cause of it. You know, one of the things that's the hardest if you're a business or, you know, what the IRS hates to see is, all right, Cecil, you owe us money on taxes because you don't pay in enough estimates. But here we are again in 2021 and we're in the same situation. You're not putting enough money aside. You're not changing your behavior so that you don't have this happen again. And it's those repeat habitual offenders that are underpaid every single year where they really get nasty. So, you know, I... Uh... So I do something and I recommend something to my clients. And, and it's interesting because every once in a while, I'll get somebody say, well, my accountant says I can't do that because <laughs> I have an LLC or I have a, an S corp. Mm -hmm. I take um, uh, $2,000 a week as a paycheck in my company. A lot of that goes to taxes. In yes. fact, something like 75% of it goes to taxes. It's my way of, you know, priming the pump. The money's already there at the end of the year. We look at it and there's maybe a $12,000 difference and I owe 12 grand and 12 grand is not the end of the world. But I probably pay, you know, 40 or 50,000 additional over the course of a year uh, in that way. Now, I don't necessarily recommend that to my clients, but I do recommend that they take a paycheck that's a reasonable paycheck for the job they do in their company. And 
occasionally someone says, well, my accountant says, because I have an LLC, I can't take a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Or is that not right? Because I, I don't agree with that. I think that you can always take a paycheck. So if you're an LLC, if you're a sole proprietor, you're not supposed to take a paycheck. Interesting. Yeah. But Does in the it- same, same avenue like that, you know, you could still do the same net effect you know, it's a little bit harder, right? Because you have to have some personal commitment to that. Instead of taking a paycheck every week and paying it to taxes, send it to another bank account. But then, you know, people will say, well, I, you know I what? Would, I'll, I would I'll, have a problem with that. <laughs> I'd I'll go, borrow a little oh, bit by the there's, time. <laughs> there's 50 grand sitting there. I could finish yeah. the kitchen here or, you know, I could do whatever. Yeah. I could buy that other piece of property. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't have that kind of discipline. I have to literally write the check, get it out to the IRS and and have it out of my hands. And that's what a lot of our clients do. So like if you're an S corporation, you know, most of my clients are S corporations. Most of your shops that you work with are probably S corporations where people yeah. are getting distributions and taking a paycheck. Um, when we do tax planning, you know, we say, okay, we're going to owe $20,000. We can either do quarterly estimates, right? Pay that five grand each quarter. But again, that's a pretty big nut every once in a while throughout the year. Or how about we just add an extra 125 bucks to your weekly paycheck? So every single week, that's going to be chipped away. A lot of times we end up doing a little bit mixture of the both. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have plenty, especially our high income clients, their net paychecks are zero, right? They make yeah. $80,000 a year. And between their retirement, the rest of it goes to withholding. That paycheck is just there to satisfy the IRS. I'm taking a fair and reasonable salary. And now that they you know, have paid in a good bit of money for withholdings, they can take their distributions out. They can do whatever they want. You know, their taxes are covered for the year. And I think that's kind of the 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 thought process. You know, you you also you talk about uh, retirement. You know, there there are so many good ways to take money and put it over here mm-hmm. and get the tax breaks on that. That that a lot of shops, a lot it's of deduction out there. There a lot of business owners just aren't. They're not doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Seaside, I don't have the cash. Remember? Most of them do. But yeah, I think there's a discipline that starts. You know, when we when we start working with a company, we're like, okay, let's look at your savings. You know, that maybe they have a thousand bucks, maybe in some account, but they're there's they're not feeding it at all, and and you know, they put another thousand in and they take two thousand out. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I always tell them, I say, if you can, you know, every every week five hundred bucks you know, and they're like, well, we can't do that. I said, okay, 400 bucks. Right. And we start negotiating. But I think if you get in the habit of writing a check to you, which is that savings account and putting it away every single week, pretty soon you turn around and you look and there's 50 grand over there. I mean, Mm -hmm. it, it adds up really fast if you create the habit of doing it. And if you never do it, there's, there's no money. Um, I got to take a quick break. Uh, uh, I want to thank you for watching. I'm supposed to remind you um, that uh, you can get all the help you, you, you need at gearforshops.com. And you can also reg- register for our upcoming Advisor Mastery Summit. We have a two-day training uh, September uh, 18th and 19th here in Ogden, Utah for service advisors. We have top-notch training uh, uh, like us. You can find us on Spotify, uh, iTunes, uh, et cetera. And we have a whole library of uh, podcasts. And if you go to Gear for Shops, we have a lot of uh, education. We even have a couple of classes from Hunt there um, on there. So, all right, uh, enough of that, uh, that malarkey. Um, uh, uh, Hunt, 
what's the biggest mistake that, uh, I mean, first, okay. So, so we get to that question. How you guys work with a lot of shops. I know you work with a lot of our shops, mm-hmm. but you also just kind of work with a lot of shops, period. Um, how, how many shops do you guys work with? So we work with about 600 shops on a monthly basis. Okay. And uh, uh, one of the problems we had recently is that you guys are so busy. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's been difficult for you to add uh, an, another shop on. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so you work with a lot of shops. That's, so what is the number one biggest mistake that the shop owners make? So I think the number one biggest, are we talking about taxes, right? Yeah. Tax side of things? Yeah. Um, I think it's just, you know, not being proactive about this, you know, not understanding where we stand, not doing some of the changes, you know, we go down through a lot of these things and say, all right, here are our options. Here it is in September. Let's make sure that we can do this. And people don't do it. Oh, I didn't do that. I didn't do my retirement account. Can I do it now? Um, so I would say not, you know, taking the time to really follow the plan is probably one of the bigger issues that we see. Um, another one is, you know, also people just not reaching out, right? And so I always tell people like, hey, if you have a question, even if you think that you know the answer to it, run it by us, because you might not think that there's any consequence for what you're doing. I might be able to save you a lot of trouble. Um, and so every once in a while we get something like this. And so everyone has probably heard of a 1031 exchange, maybe not the name of it, but what it is. I mm-hmm. sell a piece of real estate. I buy another one. I roll the proceeds over into it. Um, don't have to pay any tax on it and we're good to go. But to do a 1031 exchange, there's specific guidelines you got to follow, right? You have to have someone to hold the money. You can't touch the money. There's a timeline on how long this stuff takes, right? And so it's not something where you can just say, hey, you know what? You know, it's an Indian trade. Yeah, you gave me this. I bought this. We're all square here. Um, but every once in a while, probably every two years, we have someone saying, hey, I did a 1031 exchange. Okay, fine. Take a look at the paperwork. And I say, okay, well, you sold this one. You got that cash. And then you bought this one. You used that cash. Sure enough, I see the cash following here. And then I got to burst a bubble and say, you did a 1031 exchange in theory, but this is not allowable. You touched the money. This is a done deal. You know, and it's something like that of, well, hey, if we would have been talking about this, if you would have reached out and said, here's what I'm thinking, we could have immediately said, hey, time out, go spend the 1500 bucks, hire an intermediary to handle this stuff and we're good to go. Um, you know, and so it's just those kind of conversations. Also, I see a lot of people talking about, um, you know, just timing on these things. Well, hey, you know what? Maybe it's better if you sell that truck January 1st, because if you sell that truck December 31st, we're going to have to pay tax in that in three and a half months versus January 1st. We now have 18 months to pay for that. You know, and so it's just different things like that of just making sure that we have the dialogue, making sure that you're asking those questions so that you're making a right move for your business and yourself. So it's, it's, it, it so, um, hmm. there's a couple of things in there that I, I want to talk about. Number one, thank you so much. Cause I'm about to do a 1031 and I had no idea I can't touch the cash. So you may have saved me a hundred thousand bucks or more. So now I'm up to about 140,000. So this was really a valuable, you know, I think this is just for, for you. Me. I think this yeah. is just Cecil's tax yeah. planning. Yeah. Well, you know, I always learn something that's, that's yeah. the fun thing about kind of being who I am and doing what I do is I get to talk to people like you and, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm a financial guy. I understand the automotive business in a financial way that a lot of people don't, mm-hmm. 
but, but, you know, I, and I think I know a lot about everything, but there, all of a sudden I talk to somebody, I go, Oh crap, I got that wrong. You know, um, I'm going to save myself some money. So, and Craig Zale is cracking up. Uh, I'm following. If you have questions for hunt, I, I see a, there are a couple of questions. I'm going to get uh, right to those, but, but here, here I want to go back to what I was, what I was talking about. You said, you know, initiate that conversation, but, but really if I'm paying a tax person, to be my tax person, shouldn't they also initiate conversations with me? You know, shouldn't my guy or my gal go, Hey, it's, it's April. I, I'm looking at your P and L's. looks like you're going to make X amount of money. We need to sit down and have a conversation and, mm-hmm. and work this out. Now I, I always, I don't want to use, they didn't contact me as an excuse. I think mm-hmm. as a business owner, it really is my responsibility to do the legwork. And if mm-hmm. my you know, if my website company isn't doing the work or if my SEO people or if my tax people aren't, I need to be initiating those conversations and kind of managing them. But shouldn't my tax person go, you know, at least put me on their calendar for, you know, every three months to give me a call and go, hey, Cecil, you know, what, what, the, what the heck's going on with you? It looks like we're going to be here. You know, what else? Because I could have that conversation. Hey, I'm thinking about selling a part of my property and I want to do a 1031. and I might not because I think I know what a 1031 is, right? Yeah. And so all those examples I gave you were none of those really on the business side of things, right? Because I'm seeing a business. And so if I see a client that's really spiking in income, we'll do that tax estimate early. We do a tax estimate for our clients, whether or not you want us to do it. We're going to do it anyways, even if there's nothing to be concerned about. All Bless the you. things that trip, yeah, all the things that trip us up are something that are not in those numbers. You know, selling the stock, cashing out retirement plan early, all of those ones where we're doing the taxes next year and you pull out a form, you're like, what the heck did you do here, Cecil? Yeah. Oh, I need some money so I cash out the retirement. I'm like, well, here's you're a, not old enough to do that. That's going to be a, a major hit. Yeah, here's an extra K1 that you didn't see, you know, or exactly. Whatever, yeah, it's, right? it's, you know? it's stuff like that where like if we're having a conversation, if we're going through that or if you have that, it's like, hey, I can't read your mind on that. For the business side of it, yeah, I can read your mind on the business because I see everything that I need for the most part to do it. But some of these other weird things that, oh, I didn't think it had any consequence or we always get a, I think for some reason, the brother-in-law always gets thrown under the bus. I'm not sure why. I think My brother-in-law told me to do this. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's always that. Why did you, who told you you could do that? I asked my brother-in-law. He said, no, it's perfectly fine to do it that way. I'm like, well, what does he do? Oh, well, you know, he's in sales. I'm like, okay, well, he's not selling tax returns. So I probably wouldn't take his tax advice, but yeah, um, yeah just always stuff like that. You know, it's, well, it's kind of, you're never going to be a bother. Just, just call up. Just sometimes it's quick. Hey, go for it. Let's do it. I, I think as I've gotten older, it, it, what I've realized is that there's no one person fits everything. Mm-hmm. I need a good tax person. I need a good SEO person. Uh, I need, I need several advisors for mm-hmm. my business. And, and, and actually for my personal, it's, it's kind of funny. I had a, my tax person, I had a call, uh, about a month ago and literally about, you know, selling a piece of the property here and, and dividing it and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, Oh, don't, don't do it that way. See, so you did that way. You're going to be paying taxes on 600 grand. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. But I, I think that we need to be open with our tax person. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like an attorney client kind of, yeah, you we're know, on the same privilege. team here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, Kim Hagler, Kim Kim Onheimer, uh, if you if you are a bother to your accountant, you have the wrong accountant. You shouldn't be a bother to them. There's a question from Craig Zale. 
is there a standard uh, P&L or balance sheet that is just for automotive or does would anything fit, I guess? Um, balance sheet. Balance sheet's more just standard on the financial side. And so balance sheet's going to be pretty standard for everyone. Um, profit and loss, definitely. Um, profit and loss, we have a certain format that we like to see. Now, every coaching company is a little bit different. They have their own tweaks and stuff like that. Um, the general consensus on it and see, so you can come in and see how you guys like to see it differently, <laughs> um, you know, is first and foremost, I want this to look as clean and orderly as possible, right? I don't want too much information because it's not going to be effective, right? And so we're going to kind of simplify this and really look at the core things that really matter. So we got three sections. We got sales, we got cost of goods sold, we got expenses. Sales are going to be labor, parts, shop supplies, sublet, tires, right? Maybe you got one other. Yeah, maybe got one other thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, cost of goods sold. Whatever we're tracking in sales, I want the corresponding cost of goods sold for, right? So yeah. we're going to have the same five things right there. We usually put service advisor into cost of goods sold. Uh, some people put that as an expense. Everything else is going to be in your fixed expense category. Um, the only so, thing I really note on that is personal pref- preference. Sometimes I see people with their fixed expenses. Um, and they have like four subcategories and they call it general overhead, you know, professional and something like that. If I look at that a condensed format, there's way too much in there, right? I say, okay, well, you spent $80,000 in this. I'm going to have to dive in to see what it is. I want to be able to look at that quickly, run some quick numbers, run some quick gross profit, once run some quick ratios. And then if I really need to see detail, I'll dive in there. So we would do the same thing on the Institute side. I want to see... Um, whatever my sales are in categories. And I always say, if you have something that's more than 2%, like um, mm-hmm. if I'm selling tires and I'm selling $5,000 worth of tires, I'm doing $100,000 worth of sales. And I I'm selling $40,000 worth of other parts. I want the tires separated out because yeah. it's a different margin that I want to look yeah. at. And wherever I have a, an income category, I want to have an expense category. Now, it, for us, I would put sales under, but we kind of pull sales and marketing out and look at them kind of separately Mm-hmm. Uh, in an expense category way. And then when I get my my PL, I like to see this year, this month, and I like dollars and percentages. Yep. So, and then I like to see last year, this month, next to it with dollars and percentages because I can look at the percentages and I could say, oh, 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 holy crap, my uniform cost has gotten out of hand. And it can help me kind of point that out. And then what I like is the the trailing three months with dollars and percentages, because that will give me trend, right? What, what's been happening over the last three months. So when I, when I get a PL for a shop, that's what I want to see. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't know what you guys do. It sounds like you're, you're darn close to what we would suggest. Yeah. And then the balance sheet is kind of really the balance sheet. It, it's kind of what it is and the way it is. Yeah, as long as it's accurate. I mean, pretty much on a balance sheet, you know, I've seen some awful balance sheets and people say, well, I don't really care about my balance sheet. I just care about my profit and loss. If your balance sheet's not accurate, your profit and loss is not accurate, right? It's also hand in hand. You know, the balance sheet is to check and balance to make sure my profit and loss is right. Well, when we, yeah. Yeah. When we look at balance sheets, like, you know, you'll see there's this debt here and you're like, okay, is is this real debt? They're like, yeah. No, no, I don't know that. I paid that off years ago. Yeah. And, and, and and then what about a balance sheet that doesn't balance? Yeah. I mean, shouldn't they balance? Isn't that kind of the whole point by definition? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, all right. Uh, I'm sorry. Someone just walked into my office and I'm the only one here. So we're going to see what happens. Uh, now, the right. big thing back to Craig, though, is Craig, you know, that's kind of the standard thing. What I tell people all the time is these are your financials. These are your numbers. And so there's probably five or 10 other little ways. How do you want to look at discounts? How do you want to look at warranty work? What makes sense for you? You know, how does your brain work and how can you process it? Whether it's me or any other accountant, we can look at the numbers no matter how it's set up. The whole reason we're setting this up in an effective manner is so that it makes sense for you. So, yeah. Um, and, and that's where we want. I mean, first of all, I can't tell you, I have been in a thousand shops in my career. Uh, I kind of do the the math and I say, well, if I've worked with this many people over this much time, this is what this kind of looks like. And so I've, I've been in a thousand shops and I can tell you that I've seen that many PLs that were accurate and that many um, uh, balance sheets that were accurate mm-hmm. and the rest, they, they just weren't, they weren't good, you know? And, and then, you know, you have this question about with an owner. So one of my questions when I'm, when I'm talking to them is, is, you know, what do you do with your p l You know, when you get it, if you get it, uh, the guy was talking to you yesterday. I said, when's the last time you, you got a PL from your uh, account? First thing he says, well, it isn't accurate. And then the second thing he says is about six months ago. So I'm paying this person every month, but I'm not getting what I need mm-hmm. in order to really run my business. And I think having financial numbers for your business, is one of the most important things you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I, I know you would agree with me. Yeah. Um, h- how many technicians would work on a, a check engine light without a scanner? Yeah. Right. I get no information. I don't know what's happening. And, and that's going to, that's going to eat me alive. Um, so it, here I am. I, I'm rambling. Um, the, the, the having a decent PL and make sure you have it. The other thing, okay, so when should I expect my accounting company to get me my PL? I mean, so it, how- really, it, it really depends on how you have it set up. You know, for some of our clients that, because some of our clients, we do full bookkeeping. You don't touch the QuickBooks whatsoever. We crank out, we give your financials and just magic, you have it. Um, a lot of our clients, we work alongside making sure that they're doing it, they're closing it out. Um, generally, everyone's a little bit different, but I at least want to have it by the end of the following month. Right. Okay. Some of my clients, I close out in the first week, like clockwork. Some people, we can't even start working on until the 15th because of the way that they do their statements and their billing. Right. And so everyone's a little bit different, but we want to at least make sure that we're looking at the previous month before the next month is done. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, we, with our groups, uh, we, we run the big groups and we run the smart groups. Uh, we usually have our meetings around the 20th of the mm-hmm. following month because we want, you know, by the 20th, I think I should have my PL. Uh, and then we fill out our forms because our forms have information the PL does and things like average repair order, car count, you know, things that help me to determine if my business is, is running uh, profitably, doing the mm-hmm. right thing. Um, uh, Oh man, I got to look at my questions here because my brain is a a, a little south. Um, okay, we talked about building stuff. Um, what about vehicles? Let's talk about vehicles for just a bit because that's kind of one of the things that guys are like, "Oh, I'm going to buy this, whatever." What's the gross vehicle yeah. weight that 
that means I can write it off and how much can I write it off? Cause I know the laws have changed somewhat dramatically. Yeah. And so essentially right now we have three different categories. We have a passenger vehicle, you know, which would include small SUVs. We have a large SUV. So anything over 6,000 pounds gross vehicle weight rating. Um, you can Google that. Um, if you notice, there's a lot of vehicles that are rated at 6,001 pounds because they know what the laws are. And then the third category is trucks, right? And so a passenger vehicle or SUV less than 6,000 pounds, we can write off 18,000 at most in the first year between a mixture of depreciation and stuff like that. Do we have um, to? Uh, so hang on, I want to go to huh? a little deeper yep. right there. Can I write off another 18,000 next year or does that like now spread out over a five or six year, whatever period? And so it's declining. You, the maximum first year de- deduction that you can get is around 18000 And then whatever is remaining on that, you depreciate over the next four years. Okay. So you're still going to get a full deduction. You just can't front load it this just much. Just five, five years total. Yep, exactly. Okay. All right. Um, now, over 6,000 pounds, we can write the whole thing off. 100%. 100%. And, and trucks would count in that category trucks, separately? or Trucks are a separate one. doesn't matter what a truck weighs. They're all over you know, 6,000 because they have, you know, payload yeah, mine's, capacity. Mine's 6,200 yeah. plus whatever the payload would be. So yours so. is 20,000, you know, when you factor in whatever it is. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing. And so what falls into that category? So any of the full-size SUVs, so like Explorer, Jeep Grand Cherokee, uh, GMC Terrains, um, you know, any of those full-size SUVs are almost always above that 6,000 pound. You know, the smaller crossovers and stuff like that, um, no, you know, obviously if you got any sort of cars, sedans and stuff like that, um, not a great write-off depending on how much they are, you know, for a Camry or something like that, that's pretty cheap. It doesn't really matter. We can only get 18,000 the first year, but maybe spent 20 on it. Right. You right. know, it's, we can get the full thing. Um, but really that was put into place for people trying to buy, you know, $120,000 S class Mercedes that they're like, you can buy it, but you can get a terrible write-off for it. So let me um, let me let, let me go just a little deeper. We have a lot of shops that have um, internal fleet, mm-hmm. so they have their their truck that they pick up stuff and chase customers or whatever. But they also have loaner cars, mm-hmm. and they're and they're usually cars. They're not SUVs or trucks. Would you would you recommend if you're going to have that to step up to an SUV, pay a little more, and get the write off or or no, nah, because most of loaner cars, I mean, it, you know, even my guys that buy brand new loaner cars, usually most people are getting Corollas, Jettas and stuff like that, which aren't that much more than the first year deduction. Um, depending on how we treat those things, too, we might not write off the full cost as well. You know, if you got a brand new fleet of Jettas, you have a rental car company that you pay releases to yourself, we'll probably just depreciate that like normal. Um, okay. But, you know, it gives us the flexibility. If we need to write it off, we can write the majority of it off of there. So I wouldn't probably say that that would play into my consideration at all, because just the cost of that loaner car would go up exponentially, you know, just for a better tax deduction. Right. So then the other thing is, let's say that I, um, I want to buy myself a new truck every five or six years. Mm-hmm. So I buy a new truck, uh, I write it off. And now here we are six years later. Um, I'm going to pull that truck out, uh, of the company and, and, and I need to give myself a, a bonus based on value of the truck. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the truck is mine and I'm paying taxes on that, that bonus or whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, um, so, uh, let's say the, the truck at this point, it's been all written off. It's got a hundred thousand miles on it. It's worth $15,000. Eh. 
can I fudge it down to 10 or do I, you know, what can I, you know, what can I do? Right. And, and you're on camera. So <laughs> that might, it might, maybe you need to call me personally and we'll have another conversation, but you know, um, there's a bit, there's a bit of a gray area there, right? You okay, know, yeah, obviously, yeah. I mean, even if you just look up Kelly blue book, you know, do you think that this is on high end of private party? Or are we going to go to fair to bad condition on well, trade? I've got a couple scratches, you know, there's a, it's kind it's of got a, a little bit of a knock too. Right. So yeah, if you were I to mean, sell that, I don't even think people would really want that. I might and not so, even get 5,000 for it. You know what I'm saying? You're on, you're on the right track there. Okay. All right. So you know, it's, it's gotta be, so the, the official rule, so my job is to educate you yeah, on yeah, yeah. what the official rules are. And then are, I can then, do whatever, and then dumb, you can do whatever I want, I want right? to do. And so the official rule is if you're taking a, a business asset and you want it personally, it has to be an arm's length transaction. Meaning what would you do for another party? If it was another party, you would sell that at fair market value, right? Mm -hmm. Fair mm -hmm. market value is arguably a subjective depends, term. Depends on the party. If it's my daughter or you know, somebody else, it, it would depend on the part. Well, that wouldn't right? be fair market. So arm's length. So it's a complete stranger, wow. but a complete stranger is going to pay $20,000 for that truck. If it's in really good shape, if you've been smoking in it for the last five years, the dogs ride around it every single day. And it's got, you know, three worn out hubs. You know what? That's trucks barely worth anything. We're just going to get that off. And Cecil gave me two grand for it. We're going to call it even. Oh, cool. 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 I like that. All right. So now I'm going to ask you another question because this becomes um, and it's not, it's, it's really not Cecil's thing, but I think there's a lot of people out there that, that some of this, these are questions that I get. Mm -hmm. Right. And I answer them as best I can. And I usually say, well, you need to talk to hunt because you know, I'm not an accountant. So, you know, make sure you talk to a good accountant before you, before you go write that truck off at zero. And <laughs> take it. Um, even if that's what I might do. Um, so, uh, um, I'm going to, we have, we have, we have people that, they have long-term employees that they they feel like they're a part of the company and they, they their hearts are so big they want to give them some percentage of their company. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, I never recommend that. Um, if I if we're going to do that, it's it's with the idea that that person is probably going to buy the business and we want to get them fifteen or twenty percent of the company before they buy it. Yeah. So it's easy for them to borrow the money they need and get me paid. Yeah. Um, and then we would use phantom stock exactly as the way to do that instead of real stock. Giving a minority away. Okay. Yes. So, so now, but if I give 10% away to one of my employees, there are ramifications to that. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of them is that that employee is going to have to pay tax on the value of that 10% because it's an income to them in the time period that I give it to them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, now there's also gifting laws, right. And I can gift a certain amount to is it non-arm's length or is it even at arm's length? Can it's I a, give it's arm's anybody? Length, yeah. Oh, it's arm's length. Okay. So only a, a relative or, uh, you know, my grandma, my, my daughter, arm's my length, son. Arm's length as in it has to be done at fair market value. You can do it. The gifting still applies to everyone no, no, but besides I mean the, your spouse. The, and what's the gifting limit every year? So $28,000 a year? Per me and for my wife. So if, if, we, if, we, if my wife owns my company, like it or not. So. Yeah. Uh, if if we had an employee that we wanted to, we could each give twenty eight thousand or twenty eight to the total. Twenty eight to total. Okay, so fourteen each, or or could I just give twenty eight? You could. So you could do it. Depends on how you split it. So you and your wife actually have some combined rules where you could treat it as a spousal asset and kind of get a little bit ticky tacky on that side of thing. Okay. Um, you know, the more important thing on this is two. So. 
I don't like the idea of doing a minority um, interest in your business. Bad um, idea. It's yeah. There's a lot of ramifications, you know, they're now going to, if we get into these gray areas, now you have someone that's going to yell and scream because they're like, Hey, this is affecting me somewhat as well. Right. Well, and if I decide, if I decide to take a draw out of the business, 10 grand cash, and I have a 10% owner over here, I have to make um, equal compensation to them at this point. It, yep. it, it changes so many it, things. It changes the whole ball game. If something, there's a falling out, you can't just say, hey, give me the shares back without going to court. I mean, there's so many ramifications and, on and that. And if I want to go borrow money, now I'm also tied to that person's credit and whatever yeah. else is going on in their life. Um, yeah. So, um, man. Well, back to the gift, back to the gifting yeah. thing real quick, because that that's simple on surface and gets very complicated. And so I've never been in a situation where we've done a gift for a smaller amount, because generally what you would argue is, hey, I'm giving them such a small amount that this is not even something that has to be reportable on a gift tax return. It's just more of a handshake type deal here, Cecil, you have 5%. Um, if you want to do it officially, you set a price for it, you run it through payroll. Um, usually the only time that we end up seeing gift tax returns done is, all right, Cecil, you want to give it to your kids, right? So I want to gift all my shares to my kids. Over um, X amount of years. Or even just you know? one year. It's like, hey, but we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so if, yeah. if we want to do it by the book, I got to do a gift tax return. I got to do a full on valuation so that anyone was to ever look into that, that, you know, everything would be good. Now, no one ever pays gift tax right now because the annual, I mean, the lifetime exclusion is, you know, tens of millions of dollars. It's a ton of money. You still have to do the tax return if you want to do it officially. So we actually just pay our accountant to do all the paperwork. And then that's where where it costs us, right? (laughs) Well, and I tell people a lot. I say, hey, you know what? Here's to buy the book. You officially got to do a gift tax return. You officially got to do a valuation. You got to do all of this stuff. If anyone was ever looking to that, that's what they would want to see. Now, if you came and said, hey, Hunt, you know, we worked out a deal. I gave Kent these shares. This is what he's on there. Hey, is that another way to do it? Have I seen people do that all the time? Sure. It all depends on how much we're talking about, how valuable your business is. And then also for a lot of people is, hey, you want to make sure that your heir is set up correctly. If you've got three, you know, disgruntled children that aren't part of the business, the last thing that you want is you passing and then having these other kids come after the, you know, your heir of the business saying, hey, why didn't dad give us any of this? Well, there's no paperwork. You guys didn't do this official and open up a whole can of worms. So a lot of times we're like, it's going to cost a little bit more money. Let's make sure that this airtight that's not going to cause an issue. Yeah. So, so we kind of have that. I have three, four kids. Kent works in the business. My other kids, they don't. And Kent mm-hmm. has put a lot of sweat equity in this company. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the property here is going to be divided equally amongst the kids, but the business is not. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also have uh, life insurance uh, proceeds that would help pay the kids on the property and other stuff. But, you know, we had to do that with our lawyer to make sure that. You know, if one of my kids gets disgruntled and thinks they got a, a, a bum shake, and it's amazing what happens when the parents die. It's really and sad. And there's yeah. money there that how my my wife's family, oh my God. Um, uh, Hopefully they're I, not listening. And there wasn't much money there. Um, but but it just, the mom really kept the family together. And I think it kind of fell apart in more politically than financially. So anyway, um, all right, I got two questions. We're, we're coming to the end. Uh, PPP money. A lot of people want to account for that. Uh-huh. Where do I put it? Balance sheet, PL, where does it go? So, balance sheet, um, so you got two places to put it on the balance sheet. So, balance sheet, you can either put it as a loan because technically it's a loan until it's forgiven. 
So a lot of my clients put it on as a PPP loan. And then once it's forgiven, we usually move that down to an equity account. And which is on the balance sheet and not not and in, not on the, in my yeah, PL. Because it's not okay. taxable income, right? So it's yeah. not considered taxable income on a federal level. And so we don't put it on the profit and loss. A quick tip though, here for any of you guys listening, and this is something that we've used in the past. If you're trying to go for financing, if you're trying to do whatever you want, and they're looking at last year, and you know last year was a bad year, but the PPP really helped you out, some of those situations, I'm actually moving that PPP and putting over down into other income. Because on the state level, um, you know, it's sometimes taxable. On the federal, it is income, but it's just non-taxable income. Yeah. And so it's a bit of a shell game. It's a bit of an optics thing. It's not but if the banks, if the bank sees an extra $150,000, and they see that the bottom income, line, or, and they yeah. say, "Wow, it's a great bottom line." Uh, wow, 2020 didn't hurt you at all. Yeah, Yay. sometimes sometimes they're short sighted. And so, a perfect example: I had someone the other day, and it, it hit him really hard last year. He usually does pretty well. He lost about eighty thousand dollars, got about one hundred and seventy thousand dollars in PPP. Wanted to go to the bank. He was actually just getting his credit line renewed, so it wasn't really anything that serious. But he's like, "I don't want to give them something that says eighty thousand dollars loss because the alarms are going to start going off." I said, "I agree one hundred percent." So we moved over that PPP over. After that, the income was now showing $50,000. We have that explicitly stated that this is PPP income, right? I'm not trying to play any funny business. We're not business. fooling any. We're not, I'm yeah, not we're trying not to lying. put it in. Yeah, we're not we're trying not to put it in illegal. No. Yeah. And so we're truly saying, hey, you know what? The PPP was replacing some of the sales that I lost. It paid a lot of this payroll on here. And so maybe it's a better representation of what we have going on. And now you take it to the bank. Hey, you know what? Showed a $50,000 profit. Like you said, a lot of these bankers look at the bottom line and say, hey, that's fine by Done. us. Let's Done. move on. So yeah. kind of a creative thing there. If you have something that you know you got hit hard, I mean, for most of my shops, it was just money over and above of what they're already making. You know, it's was and just gravy. In, in a way, that's what the PPP was for, was to pay yep. that payroll to make up. Kind of offset that, lot. right? Yeah. So yeah. to me, that sounds... All right. Uh, last question. I, I think I had another PPP one, but while we were talking, I forgot it. So it must not have been important. Um, last question. Um, what what's your best piece of advice for anyone that's watching this? Any shop owner that's watching this? So best piece of advice would be to ask questions, right? Reach out, be more proactive on your side of things. If you have any questions, um, make sure that you have someone that's taking care of you. And like I said, this right now is tax planning season. So you should either know where you stand or are on the right path, or it's getting worked on where you know what you're gonna stay where you're gonna stand next year. Um, because you need time, right? We now yeah. have what four months left in the year. So if you want to try and get that renovation done by the end of the year, we got to start. If you want to get that retirement plan set up and funded by the end of the year, we still have time to do so. And even more so, hey, if I owe fifty thousand dollars right now, maybe I don't have it now, but now I have a game plan for the next eight months to make sure that I'm ready. And and and, and you know, some of us we pay our corporate taxes in in October because mm-hmm. we, you know, we use the you know, whatever the thing Extension, is, you, yep. you pay, you pay and you extend. And that's what I've always done. Um, gives me more time to think about it, I guess. Um, but, but since I've already paid it, who cares? It's usually, it's my accountant going, Hey, look, we're just buried in April. So can we just file the extension? And I'm like, yeah, file the extension. I don't care. <laughs> but, but I think tax planning and, and really understanding my business financially is kind of a year long thing. It's, it, I, I don't wait until, September, October, November to say, oh, where are we going to be? I'm, I'm planning even before the year starts, and I'm, uh, I'm working with my, my partner, which is my accountant throughout, uh, to help me out. All exactly. right, so 
So we want to thank uh, um, everyone for being here. I want to thank uh, Hunt here uh, from Parmelis. Uh, Hunt, you work with a lot of our clients. You guys do a great job for our clients. We really appreciate um, you and, and your company and what you do for our people. And we appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, again, you can find us on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, go to podcasts. Go to the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence or I4ABE. F-O-R-A-B-E and uh, uh, you can see the other 78 this one will be posted soon um, I guess that's it but I could talk to you for like another six hours and I'm sure we wouldn't get through everything that's going on in my mind so I, th- I think I need to call you um, and, and have a, a couple of questions but anyway thanks so much for being here thanks everyone. for having me and uh, thanks we'll uh, talk to you later talk to you guys bye. later bye, bye. That's it for this one. This episode was brought to you by GearForShops.com and The Institute. To find more episodes or for more information about the services we provide, visit iForAbe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.